it's amazing how we can get stuck on the rat race, you know, get stuck on the conveyor belt. And we just keep doing it because that's what we've been doing. And we keep climbing the ladder, keep climbing the ladder. We have so many different avenues of enjoyment and talent. And often you become more and more specialised as you get older through your career and you lose those other bits that make you you and you lose that sight of, of who you are as a person and what it is that you do that makes it different. Do you ever have moments where you look at your life and your career and think, is this really what I signed up for? Perhaps you've got to the pinnacle of your career and climbed to the top of one ladder, only to realise that it just leads to another ladder or that it's leaning against the wrong wall. Or perhaps life hasn't turned out exactly how you wanted. You may have encountered serious health issues, family issues, or ended up working somewhere really tricky. And of course, life has changed for us all through the COVID pandemic. So in this podcast, we're asking, how do you live in a way that brings peace and joy, even when life hasn't turned out like you thought it would? We're chatting to Dr. Maddie Dumont, GP and executive coach, about how to thrive even when life throws us a curveball. Maddie suffers from long COVID and has had to make major changes to her life and career. The interesting thing is that she's managed to reassess her priorities in life and change how she works. In fact, Maddie would say that having reprioritized, she feels happier and more peaceful than she did before this all happened when she was leading a so called normal life. I'm fascinated to find out how we can all pivot in this way without having to go through a really difficult life event. So this episode is for you, whether you're struggling with living a life in a way that you really wouldn't have chosen for yourself, or if you've reached a high point in your career and are wondering, is this really it? Or if you're still climbing up that ladder and don't want to look back at the end of your life and regret spending so much time focusing on the wrong things. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and busy professionals in healthcare and other high-stress jobs who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in resilience at work. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us have found that exhaustion and stress are slowly becoming the norm but you are not a frog. You don't have to choose between burning out or getting out. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's 
really wonderful to have with me today on the podcast, Dr. Maddie Dumont. And Maddie is a former GP. She's now working as an executive coach, a mentor and a GP appraiser. And in her coaching, she has a special interest in coaching high achieving professionals who've got to the pinnacle of where they want to get to and just think, oh, is this it? And she uses narrative coaching to do that. So welcome, Maddie. Hello, hello. (laughs) Great to have you here. It it strikes me that there's probably quite a lot of people that have got to where where they've got to and thinking, is this it? So presumably this was born out of people you were already coaching thinking, oh gosh, I'm just seeing a recurring pattern here. Yeah, yeah, it, it was a surprising amount of people that have come for coaching, feeling really unfulfilled, having worked really hard to get where they want to be. And I find it really exciting working with them to kind of reinvigorate their careers, not necessarily start again, just change the way they're working or change what how they're working to, to help them feel really excited about, about their careers moving forward. I, I just think that's such a common issue. I remember reading a book about ladders and it was talking yeah. about the fact, you know, you, you're climbing to get to the next rung and you're working harder and harder to get to the next rung and then the next one and then the next rung and you get to the top of the ladder And then either what you find is there's just another ladder going even further up or your ladder's against completely the wrong wall. Yes. Yes. Oh, I like that. Ladder's against completely the wrong wall. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how we can kind of get stuck on the rat race, you know, get stuck on the conveyor belt. And we just keep doing it because that's what we've been doing. And we keep climbing the ladder, keep climbing the ladder. And particularly as medics, we have people who have like so many different avenues of enjoyment and talent and often you become more and more specialized as you as you get older through your career and you lose those other bits that make you you and you lose that sight of of who you are as a person and what it is that you do that makes it different and so it's really exciting I think to to work with people to kind of really help them find themselves again remember that that person that they were you know when they started medicine or before they started medicine and, and bring that in again with them to kind of yeah make sense of how they got there and then give them a bit more choice about where they want to go moving forward so I really wanted to get Maddie on the podcast today we had a, a really interesting conversation about things that have been happening to you over the last couple of years because it hasn't really been plain sailing for you has it no that's one way of putting it (laughs) yeah so two years ago in March 2020 I got COVID and I was quite poorly with it although I didn't go into hospital at the time I think now now I would have done and I got a pericarditis that went on for a long time afterwards in fact medicines for that for, for a year and other kind of heart complications and then have subsequently been diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis since then and have not been back to clinical practice and I'm not sure if I am going to go back to clinical practice now Hmm. so yeah it's been a little tricky (laughs) so sorry to hear that and let's get the technical stuff done first because there'll be lots of GP thinking oh how did that happen and had you been completely well up until then yeah completely well So I was running marathons, half marathons, uh, triathlons, generally kind of hiking up and down mountains with my boys. Yeah, very well. 
and it was a complete surprise it came completely out of nowhere mm. and so you'd never had any sort of rheumatological stuff before so this whole ankylosing spondylitis that was a new thing as well right yeah I think in hindsight now there were periods of my life where I've had really bad back pain and I've managed it with being very very fit most of the time so I think in hindsight that diagnosis the angst bond was probably grumbling along and I was managing it by keeping very very fit and then the period of being very unwell and not being able to do any exercise really kicked that off as well as uh, the joys that COVID seems to have done to my immune system. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what do we yet fully understand what what long COVID does to people's immune system? So I think not really no there I mean I think we generally understand now that there is a vascular uh, and a microvascular component to this and we know that there's you know it's much more clotting and the idea is that perhaps what's happening is that we're getting kind of nervous damage and and damage to the smaller tissues from the kind of endothelial dysfunction the you know anecdotally my rheumatologist has said that they've seen a lot more diagnoses of kind of rheumatological arthritis so i think you know we're beginning to piece little bit by little bit together but i think we're still you know we're still in the unknowns in a lot of a lot of ways Mm. and before you got covid in Mm. you know march 2020 how how was life for you well so i was working at the time as a clinical lead for a digital healthcare company based in london so i was managing a team of 30 gps i was consulting kind of for i was doing six sessions of consulting i was also doing appraising also looking after my two boys, you know, li- living a very packed life. And yeah, I, I'm also a singer. So I was doing some singing with my band. And yeah, life was pretty busy and pretty full on. <laughs> mm, gosh. And so COVID hits you, yeah. March 2020, you're really quite unwell. How long was it before you started to think, hang on a sec, I'm is this ever going to get better or this is this is taking a while Mm. I think at the kind of three to four week mark I was really beginning to panic at that stage kind of thinking oh my god what's happening to me why is this happening and bear in mind that at the time we had no experience of this whatsoever it you know I was really the first wave of people in the UK that had got it and were having any kind of prolonged syndrome. So that was very scary at that time. And I think I doubted myself over and over again, kind of, am I making this up? Am I doing something that is is making this happen? You know, why why is this happening? What can I do to, to get better? I just couldn't believe all of this my husband's a psychiatrist and he kept saying to me over and over again, Maddie, you are not making yourself ill. You can't make fevers up and you can't. <laughs> and I was like, I know, but how do I make myself better? It's crazy, isn't it? Side note, what is it about doctors that we never <laughs> believe our bodies and we blame ourselves for getting ill? Like, you would never have a patient in front of you and go, well, I know you're, a, you know, you've got absolutely no energy and you've got depression. Do you think that might be completely your fault? And you think you might be completely making that up? Or, you know, you've, you've got absolutely dreadful shoulder pain or you've broken your leg, really? I mean, is it really that you can't walk on it? What, what if you were just a little bit stronger? And, you know, I get so frustrated. 
about the way that healthcare professionals just deny what is happening in their body because they yeah. feel it's a personal slight on them or it, it, it could be conceived as a character flaw that, to be that, ill. <laughs> that is exactly how I felt at the time and that I was kind of weak by letting people down and, you know, I was letting people down and I couldn't, yeah, it, it, all sorts of really unhelpful thoughts were happening at that stage, I have to say. <laughs> mm. So I'd like to go on here a little bit more, but first of all, what what has happened to us that's got us into that state of, of, of feeling that we're weak if we're ill? I don't know. I think, I, I mean, this could lead to a really big discussion, couldn't it, about medicine and, and the kind of thought processes that go through it and the cultural change that has happened. But I think... There is something in there about the responsibility that we take on as medics. You know, we go to university and they tell us you can't behave like other students because you're going to be doctors. And so this, you know, you have to be better than them. You have to be stronger than them. You don't have, you know, you do not go out getting drunk. You don't need it. Of course, we all ignore a lot of that. But we, you know, it's put into our head immediately that you are different and you have to behave differently the rules of normal society don't apply to us and I think that goes through certainly through my training which was at the you know roughly the same time as this is going to hurt which has been on recently and was scarily appropriate in terms of the experiences we had going through that you know there certainly when we were training there wasn't time to be ill and there wasn't you know, you were encouraged to to go in and carry on whatever, unless you were literally couldn't stop being sick or, you know. And I remember my registrar on my first ward job saying to me, you know, you have two weeks. You can mess it up in the first two weeks and I will cover for you. After that, you're on your own. And I think it's that kind of culture that may, <laughs> that grows us into these people that, that stops us being humans. I totally agree. And I, I think we're going to have to do an entire, another entire podcast episode on this is going to hurt because, yes, yes, I watched the first yes. episode the other day with my partner. I was just like, yep, that's what happened. Yep. Yeah. And my friends keep saying, oh, come on. I mean, it must be exaggerated. Nope. I mean, obviously, they, they cram all the bad bits into one episode, but, you know, totally. And you can just remember those days. And I think we're yeah. all sort of suffering from. I don't know, a, a recollection and, and slightly reliving that stress and mm, the trauma of being completely. on the walls at, at that point. But yeah, am I making this up? And, and that's not just for physical stuff as well. I mean, I, I remember in my house jobs, my, my grandmother died. And rather than thinking, okay, I do need to take a couple of days off, I just went on call and sobbed my way around the wards for a night mm. on my own. It's awful, awful, mm. but not, not recognising that actually I would react in the way of other people. You're a doctor, you're slightly different. You're you can handle it. Um, yeah. And, but then that, that was also the time, you know, I was not given compassionate leave to go to my granddad's funeral. So. Well, yeah. 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 I know. had to swap, swap shifts and swap on calls to, to actually go and do anything. You didn't. Yeah. You didn't get leave anyway. No. Those were the good old days, weren't they, Maddie? We digress, we digress a bit. Right. So you're thinking, right, what is wrong with me? Because I, I can't do anything. I'm really yeah. ill. Yeah. And then what happens? Yeah. Well, I ended up having a fever of 38 every single day for nearly a well for over a year so at the kind of 10 month mark having gone through the infectious diseases people and kind of exhausted the the local routes that are available to me 
I went to, I paid privately to go to a rheumatologist who took one look at me and put me through an MRI scanner and said, no, you've got ankylosing spondylitis, at which point I transferred back into the NHS and they said, oh, yes, yes, you have. Here you go. Try some adalimumab. So I'm now happily ensconced on that, which has made the joint issues an awful lot better. I am still very much struggling with the cardiac implications and I'm going back, (laughs) back through cardiology a second time now to kind to to try and realize figure out what is going on because I'm still getting angina pains and still getting symptomatic tachycardias where I'm dizzy and faint and I can't reduce my evabradine which controls my heart rate otherwise my heart rate is 140 at rest so we're still kind of figuring out what's going on on the cardiac side so this is two years later now I, in the space of that time, I resigned from my job with the online digital healthcare corporate stuff. They had, I have to say, been brilliant in terms of saying to me, keeping my job open for me and coming back when you're ready. But I felt that for me, I needed to, and this is where the big psychological changes started happening, I think. I needed to accept where I was now because it was very clear that I was not going to get better quickly. And having that kind of always comparing myself to that highly functioning, you know, very busy, multitasking, very high stress job was really unhelpful for me because it just felt, I just felt like I was failing all the time. So I needed to cut free from that, I think, to accept where I was at that moment and and organize my life so that that was okay. And Maddie, I mean, it's really interesting talking to you now because the the provisional title, I don't know whether it will stay it for this podcast, is how to create a way of living around a life I haven't chosen. Now, sometimes I interview guests and they're like, this is my story and I've been through it and it's finished and this is looking back, this is what I would have done differently. Like, you're right bang in the middle of the story still with all the stuff that's going on. Yeah. And A, thank you so much for being really vulnerable and coming on and sharing it. And I think it's just really powerful because there would be a lot of listeners that there might not be that many that have long COVID, but there will certainly be a lot of listeners that have chronic health problems that have had something dreadful happen or maybe recovering from cancer who maybe have had a relationship that has, this has finished and they find themselves not living the life that they might have chosen or something's gone wrong with their career or you name it life doesn't work out the way we want to in what I think your case is particularly extreme but I think for a lot of us there are things that that we would rather change and I guess the natural thing is to rail against it and I certainly know some people that some really bad stuff has happened to and they've responded in very different ways and someone mm. you know someone I can think of is still really railing against it and I think really suffering I guess taking that that second arrow as the Buddhists would talk about yeah the thing that's happened and then the the second lot of suffering is is really railing against the thing yeah. that's happened to them yeah and you said you know accepting where I was and making those lifestyle changes. Now, that was just a sentence, but I bet that was incredibly hard to do. It was very hard to do because what that means is is getting really honest with yourself about what you need 
to make your life feel fulfilled and what brings you self-worth and what fills you up. And I think before this illness, I was very much driven by results. So I worked hard. I was kind of generally in a position of leadership where I had a lot of responsibility for other doctors as well as for patients. I kind of thrived off that. I thrived off the adrenaline and the kind of very fast paced environment that I worked in. And and coming down from that is really, it's really, really hard because you kind of then go, okay, right, my life is now very slow because I physically can't keep up with anything else. So where where do I find, you know, that those immediate kind of feedback responses saying, yes, you're doing well, or yes, you're, you know, aren't there anymore. And what I realized is uh, that I found it very hard for my children and for my husband to be enough for me. Now, that was a really tricky discussion <laughs> to have with my husband. And it sounds kind of awful saying it now, but I, I felt the immediate feedback that you get from long-term relationships and from parenting is not immediate. It's, it's a very long time down the road. And so for me, that meant that I just felt like a failure as a mum and a failure as a, as a wife for a lot of the time because there wasn't that immediacy in the feedback. Now, neither of them, neither of my children or, or my husband would, would say that I was a failure in any way whatsoever in that way. But for my, at the time, I was all about results and information immediately. So that had to change. <laughs> yeah, so I think I've said in our previous conversation that it was that I had to really weigh up my need to achieve things for my self-worth versus my children's need to have a mother that was present because I didn't have the energy to do both. I barely had the energy to parent my children, to be honest. So it, it was very difficult. <laughs> I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. And as you're saying that, I'm just wondering and looking back at my own life, thinking, actually, you know, I think sometimes we do kid ourselves when we are doing something that's taking a lot of emotional energy, working really, really hard. We are kidding ourselves that we are doing both really well anyway. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's totally diversionary tactics for me. I realised that, you know, I was just throwing myself into work to kind of avoid the hard stuff of that that real uncertainty and that vulnerability that that has to come with being a present parent or a present wife it's it's much easier to throw yourself into work and just kind of you know manage it and just kind of wing the rest of it <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's about feedback as well, isn't it? Mm. We are very driven by, and I love Paul Gilbert's work about the different zones that we're driven by. There's your yes. fear zone, your yep. threat zone, your amygdala adrenaline. The there's the and... drive zone, which is your dopamine, achievement, achievement. And then there's your rest and digest, your parasympathetic zone. And as doctors, we spend most of our time between drive and, <laughs> drive and drive. And exactly, and very little in this soothing place. Mm. And in fact, I use that compassion focused therapy idea within a lot of my coaching because we are terrible as doctors. We haven't developed that compassion center, that soothing center for ourselves very well. So, you know, it is much more natural for us to to live in the drive and the threat zones. As a mother, I'm just speaking for myself now, I can't say that the feedback I get from (laughs) my family is always positive or encouraging. No, exactly. And and this is the thing about parenting, isn't it? Is that actually parenting is, you don't say, oh, I'm wifing this evening. (laughs) You you know, like, actually, it's a relationship, isn't it? It's not a job. It's not. And so, you know, you don't get, you are not responsible for them not having meltdowns and they're not you know what you are responsible for is then working through that emotional development with them but it's very easy to kind of flick into that right I'm parenting this is my job you know them having meltdown therefore I'm not doing my job properly you know so yeah yeah (laughs) particularly with teenagers they sort of blame you for everything and you've been I don't know you've been speaking (laughs) to hundreds of people at a conference and you come in the door and someone has a go at you because their gym shirt isn't clean (laughs) yes can yes. I just go back to that really difficult job I was doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we are our own worst enemies in that in in that regard. So how did you learn to cope with it? What did you do? Well, I think as as doctors, we're also really privileged to have seen other people in this situation many, many times. And I remember I kind of consciously thought I wanted to be like a patient who I'd met when I was working at the Oxford Centre for Enablement who and this patient had had meningitis and lost both legs and we gave him his prosthesis and said just walk a few steps you know don't go far and we'll see you tomorrow and he came back having walked a mile around the pond because <laughs> he'd said oh, I got halfway there and, and I thought I might as well keep going and come back. <laughs> um, but he had this amazing energy and this kind of absolute dogged determination to look at the bright side of things. So I decided quite early on that I was going to try and mimic that because I didn't feel particularly positive <laughs> or, or dogged in my kind of in my attitude at the point at that point. And I can't say I've always succeeded. There have been times when I've been, you know, really quite miserable and down and not doing the right things for myself. But generally, I think I've tried to look at it as a learning opportunity. And what can I learn from this? And how can I change to meet these demands? And I think that's so very early on, I got or arrange some counselling because I realised very quickly that my self-worth was so bound up in my job that not being able to do my job was going to be very difficult. And then I'm, I was doing this, this, the kind of was retraining as a coach or was going to do that alongside my job anyway. And the kind of coaching way of being really the very practical kind of forward focus really appealed to me. So each step, once I found that the resigning from my job very, very difficult. 
And that took me months and months of thinking about to do that. But once I had done it, that was amazingly freeing. And because I'd done it in this proactive way, I, I had a maintained a really good relationship with them. And, and they have basically said, you know, if you ever want to come back, please contact us. So that was very a nice way of, of ending it for me. And then from there, it was kind of, I had this enormous sense of freedom, but also absolutely terrifying because I wasn't well enough to start anything else. So I was in this kind of liminal space. And I think we in coaching, we talk about a lot about these liminal spaces and, and how difficult it can be to sit in them. So I did a lot of work through there in the, in, on the coaching course. And I got coaching myself as well, which has helped me no end. And sort of spent a year really <laughs> deciding to work out, okay, this, I felt like the universe had given me this, this chance. I'm going to stop working. I'm going to spend this time figuring out what it is to, that, that is really important in life to me, what it is that drives me, where I get my energy from, who I want to be working with in the future, and what way would I like to be working with them. And, and, you know, and, and that also took in kind of a lot of figuring out the demons from my past and dealing with those things that I'd well and truly boxed up and put away and, you know, hadn't really expected to get out again. So in, a, in an odd way, it's been a really cleansing time as well and clarifying time. Not easy, though. <laughs> I know you obviously got limited energy because of your health condition how do you now know what you should prioritize and what you shouldn't prioritize and what you should be focusing on and what you shouldn't mm. a lot of it for me was kind of feeling my way through it and beginning to learn to trust my body and we touched on this earlier you know my body is telling me in one way or another what feels right what doesn't what you know and actually trying to kind of sink out of your head and 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 feel stuff has been quite useful for me and completely new thing to me you know I just before was like a bull in a china shop you know you will do this and you will do that the other thing I think was feeling that that kind of age old question you know when you're old what do you want to look back on what what is it that is going to make you feel that you have been a success or have lived a successful life and I kept coming back to this question over and over again and instinctively that was never I've been a good doctor you know I never I've risen to the heights of kind of doctor management (laughs) like that just did not factor in what I was doing or, you know, what I wanted to look back on. And absolutely, number one, over and over and over, what kept coming out, which was a real surprise to me, was I want to have a good relationship with my children and I want them to to feel comfortable in my presence and at ease with me and as though I'm always a safe place for them. And I know that sounds an odd thing to say that it was a surprise, because, you know, clearly that's as a mother, what you want for your children. But I'd always thought that that would come alongside me being successful at work. And actually what, when I was really honest about it, it it was about that relationship. And that set me off thinking about relationships. And actually what I thought was 
really important and really successful and where I got a lot of energy from was having meaningful interactions and meaningful relationships. And I realized that this actually is a definition of success for me because I can do that with my family, with my working clients, with everything I do, that kind of having a meaningful relationship, having an honest and, you know, having relationships with integrity. That's something that is in my control. So I'm not handing that control over to anyone else. And I think we've talked a lot about the kind of locus of focus of control rather that is something that I can do by living honestly and, you know, with kindness um, and true and tr- being true to my values will make those relationships meaningful. And then I realized that actually. I what was also important to me was being of service to people, so not only having meaningful relationships, but then giving something through those meaningful relationships. So that's what I kind of came down to as is my real priorities. And when I looked at it that way, designing my working life became a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, because you know exactly what you got to focus on it. And then how did you make the, then how did you use those priorities to make the difficult decisions? Yeah. So... <laughs> And I'm not going to say it was easy to make these decisions. They were really hard, really annoying adulting decisions that I didn't want to make because I wanted to be able to just juggle everything. I think I had this real fear of missing out as well. I didn't want to have to kind of narrow the things down because I didn't know where to go or where I wanted to be. But being forced to narrow those things down, it made me realize that those other friendships those other kind of working relationships that didn't fit into that a ability to have a meaningful relationship or or be of service actually gave me very little so I was much more able to choose not to do those things to say okay I'm not going to work with that you know to to do that set of kind of jobs or I'm not going to choose to to go back into locuming or whatever because that doesn't fit alongside those things and what is nice is that it it gives me a real sense of calm because I can (laughs) evaluate any opportunities that now come up you know I'm better than I am was but I'm not completely better I still can't juggle everything I now evaluate those and think you know how is that going to impact on my ability to be there for my children and my ability to have that meaningful relationship with them you know how is that going to impact on my relationship with the other important people in my life how is this going to impact on kind of being able to give in acts of service and some of them opportunities you know allow me to 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 give a lot in an act of service but don't allow me to have those meaningful relationships and so I kind of I've sort of made a rule that it has to be both or nothing (laughs) you know I have to be able to because what becomes apparent is that when you've made those choices, somehow the universe opens up and gives you opportunities. And I don't know how it does that. And I do, but it does. Yeah. And it's interesting, is it? Because I guess you've been forced to have to make these decisions. Yeah. Or, or no, actually, you no, know, you haven't been forced to make these decisions. Like you could have chosen just to wallow and go, that's it. I can't do anything, it, you know, but you've obviously yeah. made a really intentional 
choice to work out what's really important to do some deep work to make those decisions what would have happened if you've if you'd have made those decisions when you were well how would that have affected your life yeah it's really interesting I don't know if I'd have ever got to those decisions and I do think about this because I am much happier now actually despite all the ill health despite all the things that I can't do that I'd like to be able to do I am much happier I feel much more settled I'm able to be much more creative I'm I'm writing the the relationships I have are, are brilliant you know and I really enjoy and I'm not sure that I would have made all those decisions if I didn't have to I don't think I would have walked away from clinical practice and I think I needed to for me because I think I was so scared of doing that. I was so scared of not having a role and not having an identity because actually medicine gives us an identity, doesn't it? It's very easy if you're in a social thing to say, I'm a doctor and then everybody knows what you do and they plug you in that kind of, oh, you're this respectable, this and this and this. So, you know, there's a shortcut to kind of getting this social identity and I was really scared of losing all of those but of course you don't lose them all they're just slightly different so I'm not sure I would ever quite have managed it and I think I might have gone on working in something that was fundamentally making me a little miserable but I thought was the only thing I could do yeah I don't know I don't know if I would have 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 got there (laughs) it's interesting and I think you obviously had a, a long COVID, but you hear these exact stories from people that experienced a severe burnout, don't you? Or yeah. um, had another life-changing health diagnosis. It's very difficult to get to the point where you're grateful that, that something has happened. But a lot of people report that they're actually happier afterwards because it's yeah. forced them to confront the, the lies and the stories they were telling themselves that just weren't true. Yes, indeed. And that, that's what's so fascinating and why I kind of wind narrative into the coaching is because when I look back there were so many stories I was telling myself that weren't true and that and those stories were stopping me from doing what I knew I wanted to do not that I had an idea of of what I wanted to actually end up doing but I knew that it wasn't this and yeah so I think there is that real need to evaluate those stories And I am like, you know, actually, I am really grateful Mm. because I'm not sure, you know, uh, I'd quite like to have done it in a less difficult way, (laughs) but I'm not sure I would have done it. You know, I'm not sure I would have made myself confront those and go through those things. One thing that puzzles me is how can we get this realisation without having to have a really difficult life event happen to us? And I presume, I mean, when people come to you for coaching, obviously they've got to the top, they're thinking, wow, what do I do now? So I bet that that's a bit like it happening, but without the life event. And, and how mm. can you help people? Well, this is why I love my job, because it's so exciting. There's, there's a lot of things that we can do without kind of falling off the edge of a cliff to do it. But it does require a willingness to be really honest and a willingness to go to hard places because the decisions that you will have to make as a consequence are going to be tricky. I think, you know, I would personally, I think everybody should have coaching because it's brilliant, but there are things that you can do 
yourself that you don't need to kind of go through coaching for such as there are things like the 16 personalities the kind of profiling personality profiling and values assessments the values in action assessment that you can get online that are free um, they are really useful my professor of coaching used to say that they are tin openers not cat not tape measures which I really love so the idea of these just to start you thinking about what it is that are your priorities what are the values that you that are really important to you and I think almost the values is the most important thing you know I, I know that for me appreciation of beauty and excellence is 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 up there and alongside curiosity so those are the kind of things that I focus um on when I'm thinking about alongside that, you know, what what is the success? How does the kind of my measures of success go into this decision? So those are the two things that I use to help me make decisions. I'm a massive Brené Brown, Brené Brown fan, say it right. And, you know, she says that you can only have two values that are important. Anything more, they're not it, you know, then you are diluting what your cornerstones are. So... I find it quite hard to get down to just two, three is my kind of <laughs> where I feel comfortable. So I think you can do those values assessments yourself. You can have those kind of coaching conversations with yourself in that way. There are also coaching tools on the web that you can search for. Um, you can search for something called a thought download by Brooke Castillo. She's actually a weight loss coach in the US, but she's created this brilliant self-coaching model which talks about uh, circumstance, thoughts associated with that, feelings associated with the thoughts, the action that requires, and then the consequences of those actions. And it's probably a bit much to kind of explain the way through those, but essentially it's the idea that circumstances are entirely neutral. They are facts. They are, they just happen. Anybody in the world would agree that they happened. What's interesting is that our thoughts and our feelings and our reactions to those are changeable so although we can't control what happens to us we can control our reactions about it so there's that coaching model that is also available that is that's free and I think that's a really good place to start but really yes I think it's that acknowledging at some point that it's not fitting right that something isn't sitting right and rather than just kind of battering on through <laughs> is saying, okay, well, let's give myself the space to investigate this. I don't have to change anything, but let's give us some space to investigate what this means. Mm. I think starting with that question that you mentioned at the beginning, you know, what do I want to be remembered for or what will I yeah. look back and think my life was about? And if the answer to that is very different to what you're spending your life doing now, then probably something needs to change and you get that bit of cognitive dissonance, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think as well, because of the people that tend to go into medicine or very high kind of careers, high professional careers, we tend to have that thought that we can't change or can't do anything without doing a whole load more learning or a whole load more this or home, more that. And actually, sometimes we just need to start living that life. You know, we don't need to change anything else, particularly just the way we think about it. We just need to, to, to live that life in that way. And that's quite an interesting thing to think about, too. 
Yes, I know one of the things that we talk about in our Permission to Thrive uh, tribe, um, in fact, one of Caroline Walker's... Uh, As top... Caroline, be it Caroline, me. So, be it me, absolutely. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. If you want to exactly. if you want to be at B, then just, just go there and act as if you already are. Yeah. And see what follows. Because some, sometimes, I think for doctors, we like to get into action, don't we? Sometimes it's easier to start behaving like that and then everything follows than actually mm. to think ourselves into it. Yeah. So that, that's the other thing, I think, is don't be afraid to try something out. There are lots of ways of trying things out without having to completely turn your life upside down to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Maddie, we're nearly out of time. I'd love to just ask you, I guess there's, there's two different things, really. First of all, if people find themselves, they are living a life that they haven't chosen but they're stuck with it, what would yeah. your top tips be for those people? And then secondly, what about people that haven't had anything dreadful happen, but they still feel like they're not actually that happy? And probably yeah. their tips will be the same, actually. Yeah, I think if you've had, I think if you ha- have had an awful something, then the first thing that needs to come is compassion for yourself, because awful things are hard and you need to acknowledge that first, I think. And then I think the second thing is really to, to, to try and stop thinking and listening to your body, listen to your body a bit more. You know, what is it trying to tell you? What is it trying to tell you it needs, it loves, it enjoys? And take a lead from that rather than trying to overthink and make yourself into something that you can't be anymore. So I think it's that, that dual thing of, you know, completely radical compassion, acts of compassion for yourself. And that kind of just acceptance that this is where we are and lean into that and feel where your body is telling you to go. And then I think, you know, very similar actually for, for people who haven't had an awful something, you know, we're not compassionate terribly to ourselves. And I think we all need a bit more of that and a bit more acceptance of ourselves and our limits it may be come in a different way if you haven't had a, a radical change or a massive change but that acceptance of us as human beings and you know we are worthy just by being us we don't have to achieve or do or be anything so I think that those are the kind of key points on which to start that <laughs> development Brilliant. Thank you so much, Maddie. That's been really helpful. I think particularly the thing about working out what your own values are. And I love that thing. You know, if you have two values, what are your two cornerstones mm. around which you can pivot every single yeah. other other decision? So Maddie, if people wanted to get hold of you, if wanted to come and have some coaching with you, how can they yeah. find you? You can email me at maddie at drmaddiedemontcoaching.co.uk. You can go onto my website, which is drmaddiedemontcoaching.co.uk. So you can also find me through the Joyful Doctor. That's great. So I just encourage people to get get in touch with Maddie if you want to find out anything more. And Maddie, I think there's, there's, there's loads more I want to ask you. So can we get you back on the podcast another time? Oh, please. I'd love to. That'd be great. <laughs> That's fantastic. And yeah, we do wish you all the best. And I hope your journey towards good health continues upwards. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Good to speak. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. 
get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.